VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Brute Force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio. Special Operations Military News and Straight Talk with the Guys in the Community. Hi, and welcome to another wonderful episode of Soft Rep Radio. I am your host, Rad, and I have the wonderful pleasure of having this guest on that I'm about to introduce. But first, I just have to mention to check out the softrep.com merch store. That's what keeps the gas going on the fireplace. You guys buying those torch lights and coffee mugs and everything that's branded with our logo. We love it, okay? And we love to get tagged by it. So make sure you go check out the merch store. The second thing is, is our book club. It's softrep.com forward slash book hyphen club. That's all up in my brain. I'm trying to remember all of this, guys. So book club. So join the book club. Now, my guest comes from the United States Army, and I'm just going to read you his bio to introduce you to retired Colonel John Antle. And so let me go ahead and read this. John Antle is a soldier, historian, author, leadership development expert, and master storyteller. In one of his many books or in a single session, John will teach you how to improve your leadership and raise your team's effectiveness. He has published 14 books and hundreds of magazine articles on military history, military technology, and leadership topics. John served 30 years in the U.S. Army and retired from the U.S. Army as a colonel. He is an airborne and ranger qualified and commanded tank and cavalry units in his post-Army career, John has become a successful author, magazine correspondent, and editor, video game producer, military consultant, film personality, public speaker, radio talk show host, explainer, integrator, journalist, and leadership coach. He has been awarded 
the prestigious Draper Leadership Award, the Silver Order of the St. George Medal, and numerous military medals, including three separate awards of the Legion of Merit. In October 2017, John was awarded the Congressional Veteran Commendation, CVC, by Congressman Sam Johnson of Texas. In short, John's life purpose is to develop leaders and inspire service. Welcome to the show. Rad, thank you very much. Very kind of you. And much more than I deserve. You know, you just put yourself into the selfless service lifestyle where you just probably wanted to do good. Well, I tell you, the uh, I'm still trying to, to uh, make an effort. Since January 2021, I was a member of the Army Science Board for three years. And when I left the Army Science Board, I realized that we still needed to uh, coach, teach, and mentor our military to understand the changing methods of war. Mm-hmm. And we are transitioning from 20 years of fighting jihadis and fighting in the Middle East. And now we're looking at peer competition. As you can see, the whole world is on fire. It really is. And, and you have a book, right? It's, and it's called Next War. Right. I mean, this is something that is your, this is your lane. And so you, you bring this to the show to talk about. I was watching some of your highlight reel, right? You have a YouTube video out there right now, Next yeah. War. And, and I was watching your highlight reels of that. And you're talking already like with a crystal ball of what is currently happening right today, even though I, li- I don't like to date our uh, podcast, but I mean, you've got Israel and Hamas going at it wholeheartedly. You've got Ukraine and Russia battling it out right now. And these are, you know, inadvertently like proxies for a lot of others to be involved in. And then uh, you have uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia, right? These triple threats that have been going on that have been under the radar or not under the radar. Or people are just like batting a blind eye to it. And I, I kind of talked to my oil change guy the other day, okay? Hear me? And uh, I said, are you ready for a supersonic missile to blow up the grocery store across from us while we're getting this oil change right now? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we're in dangerous times. We're in dangerous times. And uh, since January 2021, when I left the Army Science Board, I started to spend a lot of time briefing, having uh, Zoom and MS team calls with soldiers, leaders, and government leaders throughout our nation also our allies. And so I've given over 280 presentations since January 2021. Yeah. And those presentations, mostly by MS Teams or Zoom, MS Teams is the preferred method right now. But the point is, is almost all virtual, but many, but several dozens in person. And I don't charge for these. All I care about is that we learn together and that we try to move our understanding, our situation awareness of the changing methods of war. And in many ways, you know, just move the needle to get us to act in time, because I think that we're urgently, we need to have a sense of urgency. We're running out of time. If we're not careful, we're going to find ourselves in a much greater conflict against peer competitors very soon. I mean, if you think about it, World War II wasn't really thought of as World War II until about 1940, 41, maybe even 42 by some people. Mm-hmm. We are right now in a situation where there's the greatest war in Europe since World War II. There's a mm-hmm. major conflict in the Middle East, which is going to expand. Israel is going to be fighting both Hamas, Hezbollah, and possibly Iran. We could be in a war this Friday in the Middle East. Our aircraft carriers are in position. Our aircraft could be there because if we do not act after we've set this deterrent up, then no one will ever believe that we will act and all of our deterrence fails. And therefore, we just bring on more war. So the first thing we have to do is not so much to try to prognosticate where everything will happen and what will happen next, but understand the changing trends, the changing methods of war, 
and then be able to apply those with some foresight and imagination. And if you look at what happened in Israel, the horrific, horrific Hamas attack on Israel mm-hmm. that happened on Saturday, October 7th, and is now you know, developing into a major war, this is a failure of imagination on the part of U.S. intelligence, Israeli intelligence, and European intelligence, and a failure of imagination amongst the leadership. We get so consumed with our internal squabbles and our internal desires that we forget about the people out there who really want to kill us and how we need to protect them. And the government's job and the leaders of our nation and other nations, their job is to protect their people. And the Mm -hmm. problem with Israel was that they have done some things that have made that less capable than more. And Israel now is uh, going to show you in their fight against Hamas and, and others an extraordinary capability because they understand the changing methods of war. They have adapted to these and developed the systems, the tactics, techniques, and procedures in order to do extraordinary things in the battle space. And we're going to see that unfold in the days ahead. Yeah, a hundred percent. A lot of things that we didn't know are going to be in battle will like, even from video games, if you will, will be starting to show up on our news feeds. When you see these things that we've never seen before being deployed you know, these new munitions that we never knew about, something that's been classified this whole time is now being used in a big conflict that we're like, what was that thing? Yeah, and what the Israelis have of, actually yeah. been practicing with these weapons. So mm-hmm. the difference is, is that if you have a secret weapon, if you will, unless it is uh, able to uh, deploy by itself and use by itself, if humans have to use it, if units of soldiers have to use it, they have to practice with it ahead of time. There's many cases in history where uh, countries had military technology that was very advanced, tried to show it up right before the battle, but nobody knew how to mm-hmm. use it. But the Israelis are, are an exception here. They have integrated this into their training, integrated into their system. I mean, just imagine, the Israelis have mobilized 360,000 soldiers in three days. Right, because they have a ready reserve, right, of like IDF and uh, yeah. male-female from 17 or 16 all the way, yeah. have to do their forced service for two years, but then they we see photos, right? We see photos of the IDF walking around with their guns slung in right. civilian clothing, like eating gelato. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, you know, they're, they're supposed to be always at the ready for this type of a situation. I guess that would bring me to say, we all saw what happened or heard, hear about what's happening and it's ever evolving. But why do you think it took, you know, six hours for them to give any kind of reaction force to the initial onslaught with all of these armed personnel on the ground? I'm sure. Yeah, they're going to do a a detailed after-action review of what their problems were. But I tell everyone there, but for the grace of God, go us. I mean, the Israelis are very good at what they do at defending their nation. And their Mm -hmm. military is extremely serious, much more serious sometimes than ours. And our problem is, is that they were surprised. And how were they surprised? Well, again, it's a failure of imagination. When you believe a certain line of thinking that, well, Hamas is coming around. They've been real nice to us lately. We beat them hard in the May 2021 war, and they learned their lesson. You know, they learned their lesson, so they would never dare do anything. When you start to believe that narrative, then you disregard the obvious indicators that start to pop up, and you come up with excuses for why they won't happen. So we've done the same thing. The dominoes lie where... We have, let's say, Palestine, you know, I know they're not rocks, 
per se, but I usually say they throw slingshots at Israel, you know, to try to attack them back in the day, kids throwing rocks, you know, and then Israel having armament against Gaza and that influence. But today and Hamas throwing rockets, right? So where do they go from not having much in some of these, you know, volleys that they get involved with to all of a sudden thousands and thousands of these missiles and uh, i understand paragliders are using and being they're being inventive and they're being outside the box thinkers you know but where are all these rockets and all of these you know where do you think the dominoes are being pushed off here well it's quite clear and only we need leaders with foresight foresight is the Mm -hmm. ability to see and solve problems in the short run and create solutions for the long term so we have to be able to solve problems in the short run and create solutions for the long term. And we're our lack of leadership across the board is sad because this is what causes us to drive into cascading failures, cascading wars. I mean, have you noticed that the wars now are happening with increasing frequency and they're not small things, they're major wars. Mm-hmm. So our challenge is, is that our leadership really needs to uh, to change. And we need I mean, there's got to gotta be human intelligence that was on the ground. There's got to be humid out there. That's uh, right. But if you ignore somebody's... it because you've been told, no, that's not really what they mean. They really are getting together because they they're just trying to posture. You can talk yourself out of out of bad things all the time. Now, failure of imagination is crucial. This was a complete failure of imagination. The Israelis are very good at this. They normally developed up multiple courses of action with many possibilities. They red team it with folks that are trained to act like the enemy and think like the enemy and say, this is what the enemy will do. Somehow they ignored all of that. This is the same danger that we have. Now, you can use red teaming in any organization you have, but for national purposes and for the army, it's truly important. For the military, it's Mm -hmm. truly important. We've got to look at some of the worst cases. Now, you put this in the context of the United States. What can we learn from the, the surprise that Hamas gave Israel? Now, The rockets and all that you mentioned, just to to answer your question, Hamas and Hezbollah are proxy armies of Iran, pure and simple. Anybody who says otherwise is making an excuse. Now, they're making an excuse because they don't want to get into a larger conflict. But you see, there's two kinds of ways to look at most of these problems. There's the black swan. We all know what that means. It's kind of like what happened on 911, when something out of the blue seems to shoot out. And then there's the gray rhino. And the gray rhino is something that you see off in the distance is coming towards you, but you ignore it and you ignore Mm -hmm. it until it hits you. And Mm -hmm. our problem is we have some gray rhinos out there that are huge and some black swans. And you couple those and you've got real problems. The Israelis disregarded the intel, the indicators, didn't believe that Hamas would act and did not alert their folks. And their folks were not prepared. Their soldiers in, in camps, their police in stations were not prepared for this kind of attack. Now, they should have been thinking about this, because I'll tell you, in 1948, when Israel first got its independence, and Israelis were living in Kibbutzim and and Nakal settlements settlements and all this, they were armed, and they were prepared, and they were better prepared for this kind of attack in 1948 than they are today. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, we've gotten a lot softer over the years. We don't carry weapons anymore, at least in Israel. They're not even allowed to carry weapons in many cases. Most people don't know that. They, 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 they don't have a Second Amendment. An armed population is more difficult to, to, for this kind of thing to happen against. A disarmed population, it's much easier. So Israel has changed, and they rely on their military to do stuff, and, and their common thought is that hold in place and hide, and the military will come save us. 
It's kind of the same thing that many people in the United States believe in the police. Bad things won't happen. If anything happens, I'll call 911 and the police will arrive. Well, mostly the police arrive after the fact. And the army in Israel arrived after the fact. Now, that is hurting the Israeli, the, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, to the core. They are sickened by this whole thing, and they are going to have seek their revenge on Hamas and then later other enemies, should those other enemies continue to attack. And today there's been a lot of action in the Lebanon-Israeli border with Hezbollah. So uh, actions that, that could erupt into, into greater conflict. So we could see this easily get into a larger war. But what's important isn't the ability to kind of to be um, some kind of prognosticator that says, I know exactly what's going to happen. No one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is we can study the past and we can learn to gain foresight. And one of the things I've been trying to impel the, the U.S. military to do is to study the wars of the last three years. Now, there are four of them now. There were three up until Saturday. The first was the second to go to Karabakh war. In 2020, 44-day decisive victory of Azerbaijan against Armenia. And this was the first first war in history to be won primarily by robotic systems. No kidding. Right, like like a drone or some type of other... The first time that unmanned combat aerial vehicles and loitering munitions were used on such a scale for such a great effect to win decisively when you consider the Armenians held the high ground, not hills, mountains. They had defensive right. positions that were dug in for 26 years, and all of that didn't matter. The Azerbaijanis were able to change the situation. Studying that war gives you great mm-hmm. insight and provides you with the fuel for foresight to see where the rest of the, the wars are going to happen and how they're going to happen. Your YouTube video, uh, it's Next War, right, that you have yes. out there? That's what it is. That was That's about right. four weeks ago that you put that up. And then, right. you know, I was watching it. It was just really informative. And I just want to let my listener know that that's out there, right? You can, we're going to put it in the comments so right. that if you want to just click on that YouTube link, we'll get that information. I just want to let you know that it's incredible to watch the footage that you have there where it shows just these, you know, makeshift. They would be like a VBIED. Right. Right? Exactly right. Like just just completely correct, a vehicle-borne improvised explosive device. Right. And the changing methods of war are such that soon we will have AI-enabled swarms of, of loitering munitions linked with every other system that can be linked and networked, and they will go from point A to point B to point B to point C, and they will kill and destroy all of the things underneath there according to their targeting parameters. So what we're going to get is an increased tempo of war. Anyway, I've developed from this study of war, of these three wars, and again, the, the Gota-Karabakh war was the first one. The second one was the Israeli-Hamas war of 2021, which the Israelis won in 11 days. Now, Hamas was badly beaten in that war. They sued for peace and the, or sued for a ceasefire, and the Israelis granted it to them because it wasn't anything like what happened this last Saturday. There's going to be no ceasefire now. And then the third war, of course, is the Russo-Ukrainian War, the greatest war in Europe since World War II, the most bloody and the most innovative. In fact, if you were to say, how do you represent in one word the Ukrainian armed forces? And that word would be innovation. Mm. The fact that they've survived and that they're on the offensive, even if the offensive hasn't been as, as successful as many people would like, is truly amazing because If you do the calculus, if you add up all the correlation of forces, Russia should have won in the second week. Right. According to the grand scheme, if we look at the map that's flat at school, it says Russia's right here so big they should win. 
Okay. Well, if, it just, if it was just a mathematical equation and you added up right. everything that Russia has and you added up everything Ukraine has, well, Ukraine would have lost in the second week. In fact, in, it's a, um, a sad story about uh, the United States because in 1967 or 68, they had their first major input into large computer systems. And the Defe- Department of Defense says, we've added up all the correlation of forces. When will we win in Vietnam? And they said, you won mm-hmm. in 1962. You know, but obviously, yeah, it's like, well, well, here's what I blame for Ukraine's success is the 20 year old who's been now at combat since uh, February 22nd of like 2022. Okay, so he's already been he's been doing it since he's about 18, 17, 18 years old now. So he's been in combat. But before that, that young man didn't have any type of like military training. And what he was doing before that was most likely playing airsoft war games in a in a free society where that was a normal thing and they can go and play those war games on the weekend. Okay. So there's any training he got and call of duty or any of these video games where it requires thought process, flying drones, coming up with crazy tactics. And now all of a sudden you have the same 20 year old who grew up on that technology. Whereas in Russia, you got these guys that are just a little bit, you know, their economy wasn't giving them video games. They're very oppressed. They don't have the same freedom to get on the internet like they were in Ukraine. And so you have these old time Russian tactics coming at these Ukrainians who are, there's old timers. You got some 50 year olds who know the old school tactics of Russia tactics, but they have that. That's from their wartime, right? That 50 year old had his time, you know, fighting, but that young 20 year old who's sneaking through the lines, who's dropping precision little, you know, pin drop munitions, that kid right there, you know, he's the unique innovator. Those are the innovators. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for what you you just uh, talked about and many points of truth there. A couple of things that I think all your listeners need to understand. Video games don't really train you for war. What's interesting is that being able to adapt to technology does. Mm-hmm. Being able to use different types of technology and understand how to use it, that's really cl- good. But Call of Duty is not warfare. But the controller that they're using, sir, you well, know the exactly controller. Right. That, the ability, that, the ability that, that Xbox, yeah. yes, it's being yeah. used by EOD guys for their robot. Absolutely. But, for instance, the Ukrainians are losing 10,000 drones a month. They're losing 10,000 drones a month. Small UAS primarily. That's the quadcopter drones. Mm-hmm. The key to those is a good operator. You see, because every one of those are FPV drones, first-person view drones, where they are, in fact, operated one drone by one person. So they have to be able to be really skilled because you can fly a drone in your house, and that's cool, but you try to fly it outside, and that's harder, and you try to fly it outside carrying a grenade going through the trees and coming up treetop level and dropping it on a tank. That takes skill. So there's a whole bunch of skills that have to be trained with. Now, in the United States, We should have drone racing clubs everywhere to train drone operators, you know, but we don't. In the military, we should do that as well. We don't. The ability to have well-trained drone operators is crucial. And of course, the technology will change. But the more you can adapt to technology, the better off you are. And America has a bit of advantage there because we have a technological society. But the enemy also know this, and they will do everything they can to take away our electrons. You know, so what I've been trying to do, and um, I gave three briefings this week before we, we, we've even talked, uh, 10th Mountain Division just yesterday. I try to get the, the leaders and the staffs of these units to see the trends, to see how war is changing. And those changes are really crucial to change your, your, your thinking and your mindset. Because, for instance, 
The first is that we have a transparent battle space. Everything on the battle space can be seen by sensors from ground level all the way up to satellite. If a peer competitor wants to find you, they have so many means now, there's no place that you can hide. That means there are no sanctuaries because missiles and rockets now can fly tremendous ranges with great precision. In the past, they could only shoot so far and you could be out of the range of the artillery. But now you are always under the guns. You are never out of the range of their striking power. So therefore they see you and they can strike you. So we have to develop a concept called masking. It is not a doctrinal term in our military. I'm trying to get people to embrace it. Masking is the full spectrum, multi-domain effort to deceive enemy sensors and disrupt enemy targeting, to deceive their sensors and disrupt their targeting. There's a whole bunch of things you can do to deceive their sensors, and there's things you can do to disrupt their targeting. You can't necessarily be invisible. You can't be necessarily in, in an impregnable position. I mean, there are very few impregnable positions in the world. You can dig a foxhole and get out of the bursting radius of some artillery. You can dig a deep bunker and you can get out of the range of some things. But bunker busting missiles will find you. Drones can fly into the into the openings. All those things can happen. So there are no places on the battlefield that are now completely safe. What does that mean? Well, think about what that means as far as our ability to mass forces. Why are the Ukrainians having problems trying to break through the Russian defenses? Because every time they mass more than four or five vehicles, the Russians see that. And the target that sticks out gets hammered. The target that sticks out on this battle space gets hammered. They'll see it. And in seconds, they have a kill chain that goes very rapidly from sensor to shooter. And they'll launch systems, launch effects against those targets and destroy them. So if you have 10 vehicles together or 10 vehicles in a command post, wow. That's a real target that sticks out, and you'll be seen immediately. You got more than that clustered together, and you're going to be annihilated. Now, the Israelis have less of a problem with this with Hamas. Their rockets are primarily designed to strike general areas. They're not very precise. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have some precision weaponry, and any one of their drones can be absolutely precise because it's human-operated. It's remotely human-operated. But the Israelis are massing their forces now, and they're starting their assault into Gaza and other places. And as they do this, you'll see many videos of them clustered together. They would never be able to do that in Ukraine, and we cannot do that on future battle spaces against peer competitors. Now, tomorrow, we could end up in war by design or mistake in Europe. The Russians, if they wanted to hit us, imagine our post camps and stations in Romania, right. in Poland, in Germany, our peacetime. We're in peacetime barracks. We're all within range of their weaponry, and they know exactly where we are. Sure. So if they wanted to conduct a first strike to kill a lot of Americans, they have the missile capability and the ISR capability to do it. Now, retribution is what holds them back, deterrence. But if mm -hmm. they don't believe in our deterrence anymore, then we just become a soft target. One of the jobs our military has to be is to turn those soft targets into hard positions so that mm -hmm. they become very hard nuts to crack. And the enemy will say, why, why we shouldn't do this? Because we don't have the capability. I would imagine peacetime. Could we not have like, you know, Patriot missile systems and stuff? So, I mean, like, well, I mean, missile systems are great. Patriot you know, missile systems are very expensive and they're high end against high end targets. They are important to have. They have to be alert all the time. Yeah. And okay. maintained and upkept and like and the whole nine yards. we have enough of them to cover everything, which we don't. Readiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't. 
I mean, Israel's a small country and their iron mm-hmm. dome system works very well, but they spent a tremendous amount and so have we to help them to create this iron dome right. system that provides this bubble over Israel. We don't have anything like this over the United States, you know, like they do. We have anti-ballistic missile systems that are that are designed to shoot down, you know, nuclear warheads if they're launched mm-hmm. on a major scale. But our camps, posts and stations all across the world in North in it, North Korea has missiles that could hit our camps in South Korea within minutes. We're not in hardened positions. Guam, we have air defense systems there, but we're not in hardened positions. Pearl Harbor, nobody could hit us at Pearl Harbor. I mean, we're too far away, right? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What happened to World War II when these guys had, had propeller-driven air cranes and hit us? I mean, so we have to think this through. That's, that is a problem with no imagination. You see, we have set ourselves in a box thinking we're the best in the world, nobody wants to fight us, and we're fine. Well, the enemy doesn't see it that way. They see us as weak. They see us have, having fled from Afghanistan. They see us um, uh, having, across the world stage, lost a lot of our capabilities to deter war. I mean, we fled quite a bit, actually, not just Afghanistan. All the past have fled out. I mean, all the way back to Nam, fled out. You know, yeah, it's like, absolutely. you know, they're just, I mean, honestly, you know, you I don't know how to. Send, yeah. You couldn't send a weaker and more confused message. Right. Now, you know very well if you have a bully, you got to send that bully a clear message. You know, if you sit there and you cower, the bully is going to take you down. But if you send him a message that this fight, even if you're smaller, is going to be so bad, is going to be so tough on him that he's going to regret it the rest of his life, <sighs> then you have a chance to deter him. And if you don't, then you have a chance to fight. And the worst thing you can do is die fighting rather than die as a victim. You know, so our challenges, yeah. our challenges is that we've got to send better messaging with real action. And it's the actions that count. And our actions so far have been contrary to deterrence. We just need to spray paint Wolverines yeah. on well, <laughs> everything we get. <laughs> I hope we never get to the case where we have to defend the United States with high school kids at their hometown. Red Dawn. I'm, I, I said I Wolverines, right? We know I, exactly I know. what I understand I'm saying. I, I follow it completely. Uh, my, yeah. my point is, is that is that our military needs to get harder, smarter, and tougher, and focused on war fighting. Unfortunately, there's a misfocus in many ways, and we need to change that. And commanders, right now across the military, we're having trouble getting commanders because people don't want to accept command, because if they do, they have a very high propensity of being of being uh, called toxic or something or any other. Situation. Well, and they also need to be given command so that they could be called toxic because well, they're not even be giving the opportunity to be toxic because yeah. the house is in disarray. They're fighting against themselves when they should be working to, you know, support bills for uh, Ukraine, Israel and infrastructure and, uh, you know, American citizens. Well, American American democracy has always been messy and we'll get through that. Some people will argue you know, different cases and make make a lot of hay out of certain things. But what we have to do is we have to have focused, clear, strong leadership in order Correct. to deter war, just like when you deter a bully. And our military needs to be harder, tougher, and smarter. Now, we have a lot of great people in the military. Army, Navy, Marines, Air Force, Coast Guard, Space Force, those guys are working hard in many cases. But they have to have the foresight and the imagination to understand what's coming. We did not understand what was coming on December 7th, 1941. As most of your listeners know, that's when Japan Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, started for us, World War II, and we were surprised. 
We never thought they would do that. We thought they might, you know, attack us in the Philippines, little piecemeal stuff. They were tremendous in their first six months. They wrecked havoc across the Pacific That's for right. a year, you know, and we basically were at our wit's end. Had they been better at it, we would have been really bad. So our right. challenge is, is that what happens if we have another situation like that? Our military is being paid and trained to stop that situation through deterrence. That means we have to be so tough that they will not attack us. And right now we have a lot of soft targets out there and a lot of soft thinking and not the kind of training that we need because we're not training for the next war. We're actually training in many cases for past wars. So let's, let's, let, let me, let me pick up the training then real quick with you, uh, Colonel, because retired Colonel, forgive me, but Colonel, you get those no, you call bird me Colonel, wings. Colonel, you're always, <laughs> you always have the title and I, I'm, I'm honored. I yes. Colonel in the United States Army and I'm very proud of that. You can call me John Antel or John, doesn't matter. And I've been called worse. Go ahead. So with your, how proud you are, I would never call you soft, right? That's a touche point because I got a friend that's a private in a guard unit and I don't think he's soft. He doesn't think he's soft, but is his training soft? We don't rise to the level of our expectations. Uh -huh. We fall to the level of our training. Mm -hmm. And so if this is a regimented training program that's constantly put out to these guys and somebody wrote it and they might've been soft. Well, is it, that it's, here's the deal. Do you have the... Are you hard? Are you you have the discipline to make your soldiers camouflage? What does it take to learn to be camo to camouflage your soldiers? It takes discipline mm -hmm. and equipment. And if you don't have the equipment, you make it up. Now you look at most pictures of American soldiers and they're poorly camouflaged. And camouflaging vehicles and camouflaging command posts, crucial. In a transparent battle space, that's essential. The discipline that we need to lead the Army and the Air Force and the Navy and the Marines and the Space Force you know, in the years ahead through these tough times has got to be armed with the foresight of what those wars will look like. And again, I go back to, we need to study the four wars that have just happened since 2020, the second Nagorno-Karabakh war, 2020, the Israeli-Hamas war, 2021, the Ukrainian war, 2022 going on, and now the Israeli-Hamas war, I'm calling it the October war, 2023, but it's, it's going to go on longer than a month. So our challenge is, is that we have to study these, and our leaders need to be studying this. I had a general officer who retired and uh, was talking to me about a subject, and uh, I said, well, sir, you know, while you were in command, this was going on, and, and I'm sure you were studying it. And he says, well, I was too busy commanding to study war. Well, I mean, what do you, you got to read at least Sun Tzu, right? Or at least Schwarzkopf's stories and uh, have well, an understanding, right? If you're going to be a position of that. Well, you need you to be a leader, <laughs> You need experience and knowledge in depth. So you right. need to understand things like in the military, Sun Tzu and, and Clausewitz and all that. But you also need, you know, in breath, I'm, I'm sorry, in breath, you need to understand it, basically the overall in breath of it. But you also need right. to study in depth the campaigns that are happening now. Yes. Because the war's nature is relatively the same over the years, which is why Sun Tzu, the art of war, uh, Clausewitz from the eight from the uh, 18th century, um, 19th century. Those studies are valuable to us because the nature of war hasn't changed in the big picture. But the methods of war changed dramatically. Obviously, there were no machine guns in the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. Now there are machine guns. You can't fight the way you fight in the American Revolution against machine guns. That'd be crazy. All right, and we learned that in World War One, basically. So. We have to change our thinking with the method, changing methods of war. 
And artificial intelligence is driving a tremendous change in warfare. Weapons are now, as you saw in the video that I, we talked about earlier, that, mm-hmm. I, that I sent out to everyone, those weapons are now able to see the battle space with high definition and send back streaming video. And all of that can be collected for intelligence information, for strike information. You know you've That's hit right. the target and to win the information war. So you've got all these capabilities now, and we've got to change how we think about how to fight. Simply, just some simple things like the first strike. In every case, we're not going to be attacking our peer competitors. I can't imagine a preemptive war against China or Russia. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but I'm not in on it. I don't want that. I mean, like if it's coming from us, I don't want it from America's side. Right. I don't want. Yeah. So if we go into war against Russia or China, and we are at war right now with Russia, a hybrid war. So we have to consider that. We have to think that through because we are at Mm -hmm. war with Russia now, and we don't Mm -hmm. consider ourselves at war. But I assure you, Russia does. They're losing Mm -hmm. soldiers to HIMARS every day. They know Mm -hmm. who makes them. They know America is the enemy. You know, so we need to start thinking about that because they want revenge. So we have to we have to open our minds a bit and start thinking differently. You know, we have this complacency that we've developed because we are so rich and so big and everything else that we think no one can attack us. And over history, if you if you study history, you'll see that that doesn't always that doesn't work. Eventually, somebody does. Now, if the Chinese were to attack in the Pacific and conduct a first strike. They have learned from what Russia did in Ukraine. Russia had a first strike on the first week of the war. From February 24th on, they started to hit the Ukrainians. They hit 2,911 targets. That was not enough. They thought they would slap their little cousins around and say, hey, we're coming, pay attention, we're your big brothers. If you don't, we'll beat you up. Instead, the Ukrainians said, F you, we're going to fight like hell. Yeah, we're going to die trying, yep. Yeah, so... The Russians weren't ready for any of that. No. Had they had they foresight on this, had they thought through what the Ukrainians were going to do, they might have attacked that with that first strike with everything they had. Mm-hmm. So imagine everything they had and just completely annihilated any capacity to do war and govern the country. Because the first strike gives them great capability because they have surprise. So put that in China's place. China watched this and studied it. They know. So if they do a first strike, it will be everything they got. So since Russia came in and tried to just pitter-patter in the beginning, if you will, with Crimea in 2012-14 to today with what they're doing in February of last year, don't you think that they've kind of like decimated the idea of keeping any infrastructure if they wanted to just to move in within a two-week mindset and then just take over? Now they're just like laying it out flat and just like blowing the entire cities apart and just no cause for concern on, you know, civilians whatsoever because they're all just, you know, they just don't, it seems like almost a genocide. Yeah, excellent comment. The Russians came in with a flawed idea. They were believing their own propaganda and Putin lives in an echo chamber. So it only takes one guy to make the decision. And Z lives in an echo chamber, so it only takes one guy to make a decision. There's very few people in the Communist Party in China that will say to Z, that's not a good decision, Z. You shouldn't do that. I mean, he has purged anyone that he doesn't trust. And so everybody else is pretty much saying, yes, sir, yes, sir. So the challenge we have here is that only one guy makes a decision, and he can make a very bad decision. For instance, historically, why did Hitler declare war on the United States? after Pearl Harbor. He did not have to. Hitler, Germany was not obliged by any treaty with Japan to declare war on the United States, but he did. He didn't even advise anybody. He didn't go to his generals and say, hey, what do you think? 
He just declared war on the United States. He was already at war with Russia. He was already at war with most <laughs> with Britain. Well, was, Europe. Yeah. England. Right. I mean, you yeah. Know, yeah. So he decides just let's add another enemy. The guy was yeah. an idiot in this case. And the general officers, the German generals, when he announced this at a party conference meeting, they went, what? Now we're at war with the U.S. Well, that changed all sorts of things. And they had no plans in, engaged. They had submarines out there. All these things had to change. So the bottom line is, is that leaders can make bad decisions. We've seen that. Yes. And it is very probable that Z, the, the, the emperor of China, will decide to do something against Taiwan that will happen in the next 24 to 36 months. And if that happens, we are in a major conflagration. And that can all be by his miscalculation of him thinking he can win. Now, I believe that we have a very resilient and capable military, but we need to be more focused in order to deter the war. It is better to deter the war than it is to fight the war and then have to recoup all that. So if we're harder now, if we're more disciplined now, if we're stronger now, if we're if we're more focused now, we might be able to do that. And we look at what look at what's happening. I mean, with with Ukraine, with Israel, Hamas, all of these things can easily, as we've talked about earlier, you know, Turkey, everybody's kind of pissed off right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so what do what does it take for us to see the rhino coming? What does it take for us to say, OK, we better get ready now. Now, in the United Kingdom. The British commander in chief of the British Army, he has said, in, he said last year, this is our 1937 moment. We have got to get ready for this war. And he's been putting the, the uh, British Army on a very strong war footing. And in fact, I've even had an opportunity to brief some members of the British Army and the Royal Artillery. And they took an early brief from me. And then they took another one six months later and said, look at what we've done based on what you talked about to change our methods. 1937 was before what we called the World War. Like, right. you know, it was, you know, I think Hitler was still talking to the Boy Scouts about how to create the Hitler Youth yeah, in 1937. Well, exactly you know? right. And, you know, the war started on September 1st, 1939 uh, in Europe. Yeah. He's seeing the historical recreation happening here. Yes. Of what was going on. Yes, that's what he's talking about. I just want to yes. be clear for my yeah. listener. Like, we got to figure out. And I this believe out. that we are in October 1941 in a comparison. Right. So right. one of my friends, when I was talking about this yesterday, he says, well, what if you're wrong, John? What if none of this is going to happen? And Z really loves peace and everyone's going to be, you know, singing Kumbaya in a couple of years. And I said, well, that would be great. But wouldn't you rather be prepared rather than be unaware victim? Correct. So like a grenade, better yeah. to have it and not need it than to need right. it and not have it. Right. Okay. And what is the job of the military and our and our government leadership? And that is to have the foresight to prepare for these kind of things so that we we can either stop them from happening through deterrence or mitigate them into from disasters into quick, quick victories. And we've got to win quickly because long wars are stupid. We learned that in the last 20 years. Jeez. Yeah. Jeez. 60 years. I mean, right. You know, geez, long wars, you know, I mean. Nam was like 50s through 70s, sure you was. know, when it yeah. was really kicking off. And uh, yes. that's uh, Korea, yeah. you know, what a you, your father was a Korean War veteran. Yes. Right. And yes. he's at Arlington, correct? Let's yes. give him a right. shout yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. My father was a Marine in the uh, first Marine Division, fought in the Korean War. And um, my mother was a WAF in the Air Force during the Korean War, Women's Air Force. 
and uh, both of them have passed, and they're they're arresting in Arlington, and uh, I'm very proud of them. But uh, what we have to think about today yeah. is how to. In the past, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, those were wars abroad, and many of them can be explained as part of the Cold War. You know, in the Cold War, we were more prepared for actions than we are today. In the Cold War, we had a mobilization system for our military that we would mobilize with a draft, service men and women, well, service men in those days, you know, for, for warfare if we needed them. And we had a civil preparedness situation across the country where people took this relatively seriously. Today, we have nothing. Mm-hmm. Today, if you said civil defense, they wouldn't know what to do. Right. No one would know what you're talking about. There's no place to go. There's no end of this. Now, I'm not saying we should start building bomb shelters everywhere, but mobilizing the society, mobilizing the military, and then mobilizing the nation is crucial. And you see, as I said earlier, that the Israelis have been able to do a tremendous mobilization in less in days. They've been doing it in days. The Russians took to mobilize 300,000 men took half a year. What would it take for the United States to start mobilizing the nation and the military if we needed to? Now, I hope we never need to. And one of the ways we will never need to is if we start thinking better and we start looking at how wars will be fought and then making sure that our enemies with a very focused message know that if they try to attack us, we will not be easy targets. And right now we have too many easy targets. Let's play here. Let's let's say it happens here. And here we all are. We're we're Americans, and we've all got thirty rifles in our armory with the child locks coming off. And I got two arms, okay, and I got four kids, so that's eight arms. And I got thirty guns, okay. So I got I just need eight, okay. So let's go to the eight. So I got eight, and now we're defending the other uh, twenty-two arms from being taken from looters outside. So not only are we going to have people who are neighbors that we think are neighbors, but they're defending their eight or 28 other rifles and ammunition in their house. How do we calm? I mean, like, I guess if you go to like a religious group and you can have, you know, a church email, but if email's gone, you can't reach out and communicate with your fellow brethren to say, hey, are you going to cover the watch tonight? It's like, you know, are you going to be on ham radio? So my dad being a 18 Echo operator in a Green Beret team, all radios, we grew up with ham radios and all that CBs in my life. You know, it was just like, I even, the Morse code. Right. You know, how do we, we would have to communicate together to not kill each other. Well, first of all, you know, worst case scenario, you know, if you, if you think about some of the things that are going on right now, we have an open porous border. Drug cartels are able to smuggle in anything they want to any place in the United States. Anything. Yeah, Phil- any place. Philadelphia. Jeez, yeah. dude. <laughs> the Russians have small nuke-case su- nuclear weapons. They may have given some to Iran. We don't know. Mm, mm. Okay, so you can start thinking through what the possibilities might be there if you wanted to distract and disrupt the United States. There's other ways to do so. Mm-hmm. But what you're talking about is the difference between an armed, an armed population and an, and an unarmed population. An armed population is harder to, ki- harder to take over and harder to control. The reason that it's harder to control is obvious, and that's why some people don't want the, the Second Amendment to exist. But what's more important is that all of us need to develop human relationships with our neighbors and our communities. Human relationships make the difference in all cases. We work together to get things done. You don't do anything on your own. You may think you're a great individual operator and you're going to run off into the woods and survive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you played Call of Duty a lot. But the big Mm -hmm. thing is, is that we operate, human beings operate in teams. And that means you have to have leadership. And I wrote a book called Leadership Rising that you might enjoy. 
It talks about you. It talks about how you know who you are first, and then you learn how to lead. So leadership is crucial. And being able to to form teams in your community to help people is important. For instance, Mm -hmm. we had this happen in my neighborhood when we had a very bad winter in Texas, and we lost all power for about a week. It was on and off a couple times, you know, so it wasn't a total loss of power. But we all got together as a community and we helped each other out and we talked to each other because there wasn't any electricity. You couldn't talk on the phone anyway. That's interesting. We didn't start running around looting each other's homes Mm -hmm. because we had relationships. And that's what you have to do in every case. And also have to remember that, you know, we have America is exceptional for one reason only. We are not the best looking people on earth. We're not the most, we're not, we may be very rich, but it's not about the money. We have wonderful uh, ass, you know, assets in the country, but that's not about it. It's because we decided to rule ourselves. That was exceptional in the history of mankind. We decided that we wouldn't have a king or a czar or an emperor right. rule us. And because of that, the czars and the emperors don't look, like us very much because we ruined their whole idea of governance. Right. So therefore, they hate us. And so we have to understand that although we may be able to play nice with these people sometimes when they, in fact, want to be nice because it benefits them, we should never, ever forget that our whole way of life, the whole idea of thinking that we govern ourselves, no matter how unruly and undisciplined and sometimes messy that is, that we rule ourselves is one of the reasons why Putin and Z and others can't stand us and can't have that kind of thinking in their countries. Right. You saw what happened in Hong Kong when, when, for instance, people of Hong Kong were, were protesting and carrying COVID. American flags, carrying American flags. Mm-hmm. COVID that, happened. Oh, that shut. Well, yeah, that shot. That's what happened. Chinese. That's what yeah. happened. I know. I know. And that's what that shot the Chinese to the heart because they saw that virus of freedom spreading across the nation. And so therefore they did things. You're right. A hundred percent. A lot of people forget though, that there was the huge uprising going on and they were not, they were not standing down. They were willing to go, you know, fight for their, their freedom. And they, they wanted that freedom that we do have. They want to be able to, you know, scroll and death scroll if they want on their Instagram or whatever. But then all of a sudden COVID boom, everything shut down, forced shut down. And in China forced shut down for a long time. Right. And one of the things that I think is is crucial to understand in the big picture is that the ability of human beings to rule themselves, even if it isn't uh, the most efficient form of government, because the most mm-hmm. efficient is a dictatorship, you know. Ah. But even though that it is it is um, something that we embrace and that many and not many other people in the world do not, in the history of man, in the history of humankind, it is rare. It is so rare that that's what makes us exceptional. I mean, if you look at the history of humankind, there were a few places where there was, you know, brief sort of glimmers of liberty. Ancient Greece, uh, but, you know, that's the kind of uh, uh, women weren't allowed to vote, blah, blah, blah. You know, and of course, we went through the same thing where people had earned the franchise over, over the years. Roman Republic for a while. But when you get down to it, human beings have been run by dictators, kings, czars, emperors, oligarchs and religious leaders almost solely, you know, throughout the history of humankind. So therefore, what we have is precious, and we should think about it very carefully. So I'm dedicated to trying to get our military to see the changing methods of war as they are unfolding, and to be prepared with the foresight to be able to adapt, improvise, and overcome. They need to start urgently training now in a lot of different ways. 
You know, our command posts can no longer operate the way they used to. Our logistics systems can't work the way they used to. We used to mass a lot of stuff together in one place. When you do that, it'll get destroyed. All of those things need to change. That is a huge train change in training regimen, a huge change in thinking. Mm-hmm. And until the thinking changes, nothing changes. So with that, let's segue real quick. We have like about 10 more minutes to capture this. I, with recruiting today, this is going to be a good pitch for them. Because, you know, I'm all about, hey, step inside the office, see if you want to take the next step down the career of the military, whatever branch that might be. Does the so the recruiting probably needs to adapt to, you know, that same concept to get strong individuals into, you know, the military service here. Right. We got to find the jobs for those flyers, those drone pilots, those types of individuals. You know, the Marines are always going to have a pull up bar. They need that. That's their recruiting tool is that pull-up bar. That's what they need to know. Can you lift this? <laughs> Can you lift 300 pounds just in case, you know, right? What's your thoughts? Let's like, and you know, I want to be positive about getting people into the military and like you had a great military career. Well, every day in the U.S. Army for me was a blessing, even my worst days. And we had some bad days. But I will tell you that the great honor and privilege to serve with American soldiers, Marines, airmen, sailors, uh, Coast Guardsmen. I didn't serve with any Space Force guys because it hadn't been created yet. I retired in 2003, but um, uh, God bless them. Our challenge is that we have got to get people to see the value of this. Being able to serve your nation means something. Our nation is exceptional. It is worth serving. It is worth being a part of. And In your life, if you only exist for yourself, then your life is very small. Now, you can exist for your family, too, and that's very important, and you should. But there's a nation out there that really needs your leadership. Now, I was blessed in that I was able to develop as a leader through the Army. I went to West Point. I was Airborne Ranger. I was able to take command of tank companies and tank battalion in Korea and a regiment, a cavalry regiment. I learned a lot about leadership and a lot about people. And I'm still learning. There's so much more to learn. Never stop learning. But what we have to do is we have to look at beyond just ourselves. If you think about life, you are a little bright dot in a sea of darkness. <laughs> to your left is nothing but eternity when the universe started, if in fact it had a beginning. And to your right is nothing but until it ends, if it ever ends. You're this little dot. You're not even a blink in the eye. In fact, you're not even a blink of a blink of a blink, you know, in the whole scheme of this thing. What do you stand for? What would you fight for? What would you die for? Those are the questions you have to ask. And if you can't answer those questions, you don't know who you are. Now, one of the things that I believe is that my purpose in life is to develop leaders and inspire service, to develop leaders and inspire service. So what is your purpose? And most people can't answer that question. That's sad. We should spend time thinking about that so we can answer that question. I love it. I love it. And I feel like you know, I've had you on here for about an hour. It's just flown by and we could just go back and forth. And we didn't even get into the fact that you're airborne ranger, uh, mechanized warfare, awesomeness, uh, you know, staring at LED screens. Plus you were in during, you know, 9-11 when that whole thing. And let me ask you that. Let's let's where were you at on 9-11? Uh, I mean, you were retiring in 2003, so you had to be already probably full bird. Yeah, I was a colonel and, and, and I was uh, commanding a cavalry regiment at Fort Knox, Kentucky. And I will tell you that it hit us like a sledgehammer in the face. And we immediately went on full alert. 
and started to protect the post because nobody knew what was going to happen next. And then we started doing all sorts of contingency planning, and then we started getting ready for the war. This is what the Israelis are going through right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, only it's 10 times as powerful for them because they're such a small country. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the size of Israel and that they've, they've, they've mobilized so many forces and nobody's complaining, they're all coming together. They're all doing it. They're all serving their nation. You know, we can have disagreements. That's what democracies are about. That's right. fine. You can strongly believe anything you want as long as you don't hurt other people. Your dialogue is really important. But when we're strike, when we're, we're hit by a terrorist organization or a dictatorship, We've got to figure out how to come together. Now, we have to be smart in our response. We have to be very, very good in our and focused in how we go about doing things. But we are facing challenges around the world right now that if we don't wake up and understand what's happening and gain some foresight, well, it will hit us like a sledgehammer in the face and then maybe second and third and fourth time and we won't get up. We need to be able to see it coming and deflect the blow or maybe force the guy, the bully who has the sledgehammer to run away because he won't want to fight us. That's where we need to be. Now, that's what Next War is about. You know, so this book, which just came out on the 28th of September, is my attempt to educate as many people who will listen about what's coming and how we can do this. It doesn't predict when the next war is going to be. I'm not a prognosticator. It talks about all the things that we need to prepare for in order to fight it if it comes and maybe deter it, and then fight it if it comes. So this is really, really uh, an effort by me to try to get as many people as possible involved in the dialogue. You don't write a book just to make money. I don't. I write it to get a discussion going and get a dialogue going. I want people to think. I want them to read, to lead. I love that. I love that. And it's inside of you. You just have to get it off your chest. You're just like, hey, you know, here's this. And like, if you, you should write songs. I bet you could. <laughs> My wife wishes I could. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, then you can meet Taylor. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah. I had to wear her today. We, yeah, we love it. We love it. Yeah. Well, listen, Colonel John Antle, a wonderful guest on Soft Rep uh, Radio, and you're always welcome back with your perspective and, and your conversation. And my goal with the show is to show my listener that you can have a conversation with somebody and you can have a deep conversation with somebody about very sensitive topics, but not be at each other's throats of X, Y, Z. You know, I can hear your position. You can hear a position from anybody and just be open-minded to it. It's kind of what you were referencing, you know, about, I don't know, just try to be a good person. Yeah. And remember that you are not alone in this world. And what makes us human beings is our relationships with other people. That's right. And hey, and, and on that, if you're a veteran out there, I believe the VA has a crisis line. It's 988. All right. And if you feel like you're alone out there, just pick up the phone and call 988. The VA has a line. Ask him or hit me up on Instagram. I'll reply to you. I have done it before at 3 a.m. And, you know, you're not alone out there. And I like what he just said. And and with that said, I've, I've had the colonel for an hour. We're going to let him go. As soon as I mentioned Leadership Rising, what's the rest of the name of your book? Leadership Rising. Leadership Rising is, is a leadership book. Then I yes. wrote a book called Seven Seconds to Die about the second you're going to care about war. Let me see. Here's a copy of it. What a wonderful library you have, too. Yeah, this, thank you. This is all about the second you're going to care about war and how we can learn from that war. Mm-hmm. Seven Seconds to Die. Because the, an Armenian soldier said that when he saw the drones, he had seven seconds to run or die. And that just Think resonates. That. Yeah. And, of course, Next War is the one that just came out. And this book is, again, trying to get a dialogue about how we need to think and reimagine how we fight. So it's next war, reimagining how we fight. So I found it everywhere. 
I want to thank you for this great opportunity to talk to you and your listeners. You know, God bless our military and our nation and all the great things they stand for. And let's make it better every day. 100%, sir. I am a steward in these shoes and all I can do is the best step forward every single day. And so I thank you for being on our show. I thank want you. everyone to go check you out at a- Amazon or wherever books are sold. Go check thank out the Colonel stuff and uh, give him a comment and reply and leave a review on his book so that, you know, it can rise to the top because it needs to. Well, and with that said, this is Rad saying check out the merch, check out the book club for softrep.com. And thanks to Brandon Webb for always putting me behind the mic. And I'm saying peace. Cool. Army strong. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health, but by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app.